0: Hi, Juliet the Rabbi here, coming to you from New York City, realrabbiNYC.com, keeping things real, yeah. Uh, it's uh, what day is it today? It's Tuesday, January third, and I have what five days to go before I am ordained as a rabbi? Yay! I'm going out to Colorado. Is it five days? Yes, Sunday. It's Sunday. It's happening on Sunday. So I'm fine. I'm getting caught up with my podcast. I got a little behind there. Sorry, last week's didn't go out until today. And now here's the end of Genesis: beginnings, endings, and wholehearted walking by Yichyi. That's our parsha. We're at the end of Genesis. So I'm going to jump right in um, as, I, as I as I get ready to fully step into my new role as a rabbi this Sunday. I come to the ending of a very long journey, seven years of studying, ten years of this adventure altogether, and of new beginnings as a Jewish leader. In Torah this week, with the last chapters of Genesis, we come to the ending of beginnings. Yes, the beginnings of the Jewish people of Yisrael. Vayichi is about facing the temporality of our stay, our sojourn, Magure, as Jacob puts it, on our dear planet Earth. It's about establishing the Jewish people and its leadership going forward. But it's also about memory. The Parsha begins with Jacob's imminent death and ends with his son Joseph's death. Jacob has been in Egypt for 17 years. This is the same age Joseph was. Jacob, did I say that right? Jacob has been in Egypt for 17 years and that's the same age that Joseph was when he was thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. How interesting is that? I want to hear a drosh about that, but that's not what I'm gonna talk to you about today. So Jacob summons Joseph um, and he, he makes him swear an oath not to bury him in Egypt. He says, I'm about to die. And he says, you have to take me up to the land of my forefathers and mothers, where Leah is buried, not Rachel. He's, he feels sad about that. He regrets it. Um, it's interesting, uh, Leon Cass wonders if that, he's the author of um, The Beginning of Wisdom. He wonders if that has an effect on the fact that his mother, that Joseph's mother, was not buried with the rest of the family. He left her on the road, he buried her along the road. Did that affect his son's connection with Israel? That's that's an interesting question. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Like, So um, he says, don't under any circumstances bury me here in Egypt. And then next he informs Jacob He informs Joseph that his two sons, Menashe and Ephraim, now belong to Jacob. He says, they're mine. So he's taking them back to Israel, right? Back to Israel. And I mean Israel in a big sense and in the smaller sense of Israel, the person, Jacob. And he does this thing that has happened repeatedly in Genesis he gives leadership to the one who does not have primogeniture who who's not born first not the firstborn son and Joseph he sees what his father's doing his father crosses his arms and he places his hands on the children's heads opposite to what is deemed the correct order and Joseph says no 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 that's not right and Jacob says oh yes that's the way it is then he calls the rest of his sons in order to bless them. But instead of blessing who they might become, more accurately, what he's doing is he's describing their characters and he's deciding their destiny. Reuben, his, first, his firstborn, is stripped of his birthright because he prematurely and improperly took his place as the firstborn, as the leader of the family, by sleeping with his father's wife. Ugh. Um, and Simeon and Levi they're too violent they're, they're the ones who were responsible for slaughtering the entire population of Shechem after their sister Dina's rape so that leaves Judah he's the third son he's the strong one he's the level-headed one he made a real effort to save Joseph he's the one who recognized his responsibility to his daughter-in-law Tamar when she said hey what about my husband? It's not my fault that your sons died. Thus, Jacob publicly dethrones Joseph as the leader of his people, placing Judah at the top. Leon Cass says, in this way, Jacob, at the end of his life, like his father Isaac, confesses his error regarding his sons. But unlike Isaac, Jacob does so in public before all of his sons. Joseph, it it appears, had only half understood his youthful, quote, Egyptian dream about the sheaves of wheat. His brothers did indeed bow down to him, but only in Egypt. In Israel, the brothers, including Joseph's sons, will be led by Judah. That's on page 648 of the beginning of wisdom. Despite all the preparations for dying, only Joseph seems to be unprepared for his father's death. He throws himself upon Jacob's face and he weeps loudly over his body. His brothers don't do that. I mean, who knows? There could be something else there. But it's interesting that he's, he seems unprepared for it. He has a lot that he hasn't worked through. I wonder what his tears are about. But here again he's set apart from his brothers. And to prove his father's point about leadership, Joseph strangely doesn't proceed immediately to carry through on with his vow. Instead, he puts his own spin on things. He does it Egyptian style. He calls the Egyptian physicians to mummify Jacob. He doesn't call, he doesn't call the priests. Nope, he calls the physicians, the healers. And they mummify Jacob, and then he's mourned in Egyptian style for 70 days. And tellingly, it is Israel, the name used to define the future people, not Jacob. They use the name, the Torah uses the name Israel here. It is Israel who is mummified. Talk about everlasting. I don't, you know, like there's something really interesting there. And only once the Egyptian mourning period is up does Joseph cautiously send word to Pharaoh about the vow he made to his father. It it's a long time. To Pharaoh, Joseph timidly asks permission let me, please, let me go up to bury my father Jacob. But he very conveniently leaves out some very important details, like the fact that it's the cave where his other ancestors are. So there's a a real family connection. But not least of all, Jacob's insistence not in Egypt. No, he doesn't tell Pharaoh that. And he makes sure that Pharaoh knows that he will come back. He says, I'm coming back. What does the Torah feel like? It has to say that. Why does Joseph feel like he has to say that? And then Joseph and his brothers with their father's body, they're accompanied by all the Egyptian servants and they're in full regalia and incredible fanfare with chariots and all. And they go on a roundabout journey to reach the cave. That's a really interesting thing. Like I was reading about the, they take a roundabout way, something about going, because there was a more direct way to go. So that's a drosh for another time, not going to talk about that here, but it's an interesting thing to think about. Why does does he take the long way around? And only at the end do the brothers finally carry their father's coffin on their shoulders, Israelite style, and place it in the cave. The death of their father leads the brothers to become fearful again at the possibility of Joseph continuing to harbor bad feelings towards them and taking revenge and so they approach him and they say, um, you know, please forgive us. And he, and he manages, so they tell him this, he tells they tell him this story. They say, our fathers requested that you forgive us. Like, did they make up the story? Maybe it seems like it because we never heard of it before. And Joseph, how does he answer? Uh, Leon Cass says, Joseph manages at the same time to appear pious and hubristic. Joseph, as is often the case, functions on two levels and his response, albeit generous, is also alienated, alienating. For Joseph had generally, generously said, fear not for I am I in the place of God and you Though you meant evil against me, God meant it for good. Cass says, speaking as a human being, Joseph is unforgiving. But speaking as the self-appointed spokesman for God, Joseph insists that there's nothing to forgive. Cass says, however much Joseph's speech succeeds in allaying his brother's fears, he preserves his distant stance. Joseph, to the last, keeps himself apart. As the Parsha and the book of Genesis come to a close, we finally come to Joseph's death, 50 years after Jacob dies. And Joseph acknowledges in the end that not he, but God is the true savior of his father's house. So he comes back for some reason. God remembering his promises, will lead the Exodus out of the land and bring them to the land land promised to the patriarchs. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. God will surely take notice of you and bring you up from this land to the land promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. But if God will remember the house of Israel, who asks? Leon Cass will remember Joseph. And what place will he have in the world of the promised land? In his final speeches, Joseph gets his brothers to swear that they will remember him when God remembers them and that they will take his bones out of Egypt. He says, um, he says, when God has taken notice of you, you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear. That's what it says in Hebrew, which is interesting. Joseph dies alone. There's no public mourning, no funeral described. He's embalmed and placed in a coffin. And as we know, embalming prevents decay. It's an attempt to beautify and preserve the body. It's an imagining of immortality burial, on the other hand, accepts that we are dust to dust, except for the coffins that are so often used now, way too often, even by Jews, um, you know, the, the funeral homes have this whole business, and they want to sell you the fanciest coffin, and like, with plastic on the inside, I saw them, they, they, they you don't, the body doesn't, cannot, cannot go back to the earth in this in such a coffin with metal and all kinds of, and plastic, plastic lasts thousands of years as we know. So we have this problem too, in our modern culture. And we as Jews have been swallowed up by the wider culture in this way as well. Leon Cass says he ends with, the way of Israel is the way of memory keeping alive not the bodies of the dead, but their ever-living legacy in relation to the ever-living God, who later summoned Father Abraham and his descendants to, quote, walk before me and be wholehearted. This is how Leon Cass ends the beginning of wisdom. The way of Israel is the way of memory. If the way of Israel is the way of memory and Joseph remembers his fathers, how does Joseph want to be remembered? How is he remembered? How do we remember him? How do we think of him? Which brings us to the next question of how do we want to be remembered? In what ways do we inadvertently set ourselves apart? If God wants us to walk before God and be wholehearted, how do we do that? What is the beginning of our wisdom? How do we begin to be wise? Beginnings, endings, being wholehearted. I want to encourage everyone to write a eulogy for themselves. I I had to do this, I had to write a a vidui, which is a last confession, confession, confection, a last confession. I had to write a B. Dewey and a um, and, and a living, uh, uh, not a living will. We called it a, a, a some other kind of will. Uh, uh, where we, what is it? What is it that we want our leg- legacy to be to our to our children, our grandchildren? What is it that we're passing down? Not material goods. What is it that we want to pass down to others? That's the question. And if we write our own eulogy, then we're writing, we're thinking about who it is that we want to be remembered as. How do we want to be remembered? And this is an aspiration to live in the way that we want to be remembered. So I want to encourage everybody out there listening, all you hundreds of people, ha 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 ha, to think about doing this for yourselves and to not be afraid to not be afraid. That's the point to not be afraid to face death because the more we can face death, the more we can face life. So blessings out to you from me and please blessings, send blessings to me for my ordination but also for the world in answer to all these questions that I put out there for you. Let's bless the world. And I'll see you on the other side of my ordination, and we'll see what path I will be taking. (laughs) And have a good early Shabbos if you listen to this before Shabbos. Okay, realrabbinyc.com. Next time.